today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We are heading back to school sooner than later, uh, well, just after Labor Day for kids here in Ontario specifically. And uh, there's a great deal of concern about what's going on. Last week, the uh, provincial government announced their back-to-school strategy. And, uh, well, it uh, it didn't overwhelm a, a lot of people. As a matter of fact, it didn't even whelm them, uh, including our friend biostatistician Ryan Imgren, who was on our program a couple of days ago. And he said, look, I've checked this thing out. And according to Ryan, he doesn't see anything new in the plan. There was nothing that I saw in this plan that we couldn't have implemented last September. Nothing. And the fact that a plan one year or sorry, a year and a half into this pandemic still has solutions that we could have had last September just shows there was no creativity put into this document at all. It's simply a list of cheap and easy things to do, relying on hygiene theater and increased sanitization, which have next no impact on COVID-19 transmission. So, but that's the plan going forward now. And the education minister, Mr. Lecce, of course, was uh, was pretty adamant that this was going to cover all the bases. Uh, Ryan doesn't seem to think so. Excellent article in the Globe and Mail uh, about this that uh, I want to get into right now with our guest, uh, Mark Lottens, is a J.B. Jones Distinguished Professor of Chemistry at the University of Toronto and a contributor to the Globe and Mail, the author of the, the piece that I was reading. Uh, Professor, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the program today. Nice to talk with you again. Well, the uh, the title of the piece, by the way, in the Global Mail for our listeners is uh, Summer Has Brought Pandemic Freedom. Let's not risk losing it as students return to school. Uh, you've heard some of the government's uh, return to school plan and, and some of the things that are, are still concerning to us. Are you concerned? I mean, when you get back into the lecture theater and back into the schools, uh, Professor, are you concerned about what might happen there vis-a-vis new cases? Well, I think, you know, the situation for public schools and so on is probably quite different than it is at the university. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm at the University of Toronto, and, you know, I think our uh, university has worked very hard to improve ventilation, which is a key ingredient to uh, trying to restrict uh, the spread of the virus. But that being said, of course, you still have classes that are considerably larger than would be typical in a public school setting, even in high school, so that it's not unusual to have classes in excess of 100 people. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you have challenges in terms of um, you have a very, very diverse group of people who are uh, young adults who are able to move around freely and live life independently. Um, and now they're all coming together in one spot at the same time. So I think the, you know, the challenges are different for uh, academics and universities than teachers and schools. Uh, but there's some common elements in terms of what happens when you put a large number of people in spaces and uh, how do we do our job in the usual way. So really the piece was meant to discuss uh, this this point. Uh, you throw international students into the mix there too, and I guess it just it, it exacerbates what might be a major concern with people. But as you mentioned in the piece, though, uh, you know, for people that are in even in the university environment, uh, a logical question, having gone what we've gone through over the last year and a half, is uh, is that person who's sitting beside me, even if they are six feet away, are they vaccinated or not? And uh, I, elementary school kids probably wouldn't have the wherewithal or the imagination to ask that, but uh, parents certainly would. You know, are people going to be vaccinated? And the, especially in the elementary system, the answer for the most part is going to be no right i mean i think at the university of course first we can't really tell because um, we're relying on people telling us whether they've been vaccinated and some people will for privacy reasons prefer not to say Um, but you know you you look at the numbers and the numbers at least at the university of toronto that they're predicting seem to be quite good in terms of what percentage of people are vaccinated 
but that's not going to be the case at every single institution in every single classroom. And so, you know, I think what, what it really says is that there are many unknowns, and I think unknowns always are a cause for concern. And, you know, the main point from, from my side, at least, of the, the piece was to encourage the young people who are in the process of coming to make a decision, both about university and vaccination, to think about where they've been for the last 18 months, where they are right now, and where they would like to be going forward, and to, to act, you know, with, with all that information in hand, because really they're now young adults able to make uh, independent decisions, and, and they should be doing so. Well, that's the, the concern, and, and we're talking about some of the other stipulations, not just from the, the Ministry of Health, but uh, other government departments, about the protocol for, for going forward here. And, and for instance, you mentioned the peace mask wearing is, is one of the requirements that uh, Minister Lecce talked about. I, I would guess, Professor, in the junior grades, I mean, if you're dealing with kids that are 10 or 11 years old or younger than that, uh, enforcement by the teacher would not be that pro- much of a problem because then they would, for the most part, be compliant anyway. But when you get into the high school era and ages like that, and, or you know, post-secondary. How did you, are you leaving it up to the instructor to, to do the enforcement? That's uh, seems to be out, outside of the job function of, of teaching. Right. I mean, I, this is the the problem, of course. I mean, I, I would say truthfully, the vast majority of students are going to be respectful of whatever the rules are, and so um, I, I'm not overly concerned. But at the same time, if you're in a class of 100 people, let's suppose five people aren't wearing their mask properly. You know, what happens if uh, one or two people are, are vehemently opposed to mask wearing? Um, how are you going to handle this? And what kind of situation does that put faculty in? And so I think I said in the piece, right, I mean, I'm an old guy. Um, I've been around a long time. I've, I've seen my share of, you know, disruptions in the classroom. So it, it's not, it, but it's still not what I would hope to be spending my time doing. But yet I need to be, you know, protecting the other students in the class if somebody would refuse somehow to to follow the, the government protocol. So it's one thing to put a protocol in place, but then who's supposed to enforce that? Um, and, and what's that going to create in terms of an environment in a classroom? What I want in my classroom is to be telling people about my, my subject and telling them what they need to learn, not, not describing, you know, how it is that masks should or shouldn't be worn. Is there going to be a concern, and, and, and from your experience, uh, of even when you get back into that academic environment, is, is COVID going to be hanging like a cloud over every classroom in Ontario right now because of the concerns of what might happen as opposed to what is happening? Well, I mean, I think, of course, we've, we've been sensitized, and rightly so, to be paying close attention to this. So if somebody's telling you for 18 months, pay attention, um, it would be hard to just turn off that switch and say we can ignore it. I think on top of that, given the increase in cases recently and the spread of this Delta variant, that there's reasons to say that this variant is of greater concern because of how more easily it spreads. Um, And so naturally, I think students may well be concerned, certainly faculty and staff. We would have staff at the university who are front-facing many students who come to see them for assistance or forms completion or things like that those staff uh, would be interacting with many people in a day. Uh, similarly, faculty, as I said in the piece, usually at the end of every class, if you remember from your university days, everybody runs to the front. Oh, sure. Uh, a question or two. There's a lot of energy and excitement about all that. 
Um, but, but that means that all of a sudden you have a whole bunch of people in very close proximity, and they're in close proximity to faculty who are maybe teaching a couple of courses and, and interacting then with lots of students. So, you know, we've been encouraged to not mix excessively, uh, to have our little bubbles and so on. Many people didn't see their families for very long periods of time. And so now the concern is, you know, to just sort of throw the gates open, I think is, is a concern. And to put it on universities, an individual university to make a decision, an individual faculty member, that's, that's asking a lot. You'd really like to see some leadership um, from the top, you know, with some guidelines. So I think the, the more you, you keep offloading it, the, the more uh, complex the problem is. Well, to that end, how do you feel about mandatory vaccinations uh, for faculty or for students, for that matter? Some universities have gone down that road. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know the legality of it. I know that there's a lot of history and, and difficulty with making things mandatory. But, but I can also say that I remember from the time when my kids were small and attending uh, school that I received a note saying, you know, we want to make sure that they're up to date. Please bring in their vaccination records. And if they weren't up to date, your child was told you, you can't come to school on Monday. So, you know, on the one hand, I think we already have mandatory vaccination. So I don't see, frankly, how this is dramatically different from what we've had in Ontario since a very long time. So I, I, I appreciate that, you know, people have differing opinions, but we already have mandated, mandated vaccination. So I'm not sure how it is that people have made quite so much of this as they are. Well, and again, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, we, especially at university, I know you love to talk about individual thinking and critical thinking and things of this nature, but a lot of people uh, just love to thumb their nose sometimes at, at people in authority positions. I'm sure you've seen that from time to time as well. And I'm wondering about the anti-vaxxers, but I guess that's a different topic altogether. We could spend an hour and a half talking about that alone. The other I mean, element... You know, for instance, you know, obviously... When it comes to these things, people may have differing points of view. But, for instance, if you have the exam on Tuesday at noon, you, somebody can't say, well, you know what, I prefer that it be Wednesday at four. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have all kinds of structure within the university, which is um, which we still have allowance for. So that obviously people who are in special circumstances, we make special uh, dispensation for. But for the average ordinary person who doesn't have any underlying reasons for uh, you know, going outside of whatever is is the structure, whether it's of the course or, or of public health, then it just strikes me as a, a curious way in which to argue that suddenly it's it's a personal choice because we get driver's license. There's a million things that we do, whether we kind of like it or not. Um, and I don't really see that this is dramatically different than that. I guess the other game-changing element to this is, and you touched on it just a second ago, uh, we're dealing with the, the Delta variant here, not COVID as we knew it a year ago, uh, or the last school year for that matter. And and I guess one of the more troubling statistics of that is the fact that it, it, it does infect uh, children. Uh, you know, that One of the things that we always were told, I guess, in the first few months of the pandemic, a year and a half or so ago, was don't really worry about kids because they don't seem to, to be as prone to it. Well, they're prone to this one in a big way. And we see, you know, we've already, I'm sure you've seen the stories, even in the Toronto area, the GTA, uh, pediatric hospital spaces are being used up now uh, and deaths are not up and that's good but I mean people are getting sick and you have to wonder uh, to your point as, as you pointed out in the article of the Globe and Mail as we congregate in large groups like that are we asking for trouble I mean the numbers are already going up at a pretty steady basis right. I mean I think you know again my children are older so you know yeah. this didn't directly impact me but I believe that there were plenty of people sounding alarm bells even about children 
being in close proximity, whether they got sick or not. You know, it's a new virus, and there's a lot of things to learn about it. And as we're learning, and I said in the piece, you know, science is messy because we're learning. Um, but we're not only learning, but we're learning about a moving target because these variants come along, and they have a whole new uh, set of concerns that come along with them. So, you know, I, I think that there have been plenty of people who were very concerned about schools from the very beginning. But the difference is, of course, university had adults who were able to more easily manage for themselves. And so last year I did teach online. I actually had a lot of fun. I had a lot of interactions with uh, students. I even wrote an op-ed actually in the Globe and Mail about how I learned very different things about students when you're teaching them online. So, you know, it's not an impossibility. But that being said, I think everybody agrees that it's both way more fun, it's way more exciting and it's much better in terms of students uh, meeting other people if we can meet in person so to me you know the goal is how do we find a good way to meet in person not how do we keep uh, preventing us from meeting in person and so vaccination is one way to get the chance to meet in person for school kids young kids they're still not yet allowed to be vaccinated and this variant does seem to be much more problematic for young people in a different way. It was maybe it was always a problem, but now it's a new kind of problem. And naturally, we have to be super concerned about that because, um, as Andre Picard also uh, pointed out in the Globe and Mail, you know, when young people start to get sick, everybody uh, really sounds the alarm bells. Well, actually, yeah, because of the, the domino effect. I mean, usually that means the parent, even if they're not hospitalized, the parent has to take time off work and, and on and on and on it goes. Uh, and that can be somewhat problematic. Uh, the other element to this, of course, is, is how we deal with this. And, and I know one of the concerns raised by the, uh, a number of critics about the, the government's plan here in the province of Ontario is what's your plan B? What if the numbers do start to spiral out of control once again? Is it shut down automatically or is there a plan B? And I'm not so sure uh, that they were very strong about that. Matter of fact, I'm not even sure if they're, they're planning for something like that, but I guess we have to plan for contingencies, don't we, considering what we saw happen in the last year and a half? I think, you know, I think the universities, I have to say, I, I'm uh, very impressed by my own university in terms of how thoroughly they're trying to plan. But, you know, planning for something that is a moving target is, is an incredibly difficult operation. And I really feel for the people who are left with this responsibility, because as you said, if there's no plan B that's outlined at the, the provincial level, then that means each institution has to create its own plan A, B, maybe C and D. And so it's, it's quite a, a, a process. And I think, for instance, my own university, I know they spent an enormous amount of time and money uh, improving ventilation in classrooms. And so we do have classrooms that have very high airflow and turnover. And for instance, my research students in the lab, they're in a very high flow air uh, environment and, and they've been able to work safely. So I think, you know, on the one hand, you're doing everything you can. On the other hand, there are limits to what you can do. And finally, at some point, you need somebody to be making uh, some, some rules and some guidelines so that you can uh, have a, a backup plan and we know what that is. But I think what we're faced with and what I've seen for the last year and a half is no matter how hard the university tries to plan, things uh, go wrong. And sometimes they go wrong uh, uh, completely outside the control of the university, perhaps outside of the control of the province. But that doesn't mean that you still don't have to have a plan so that you can mitigate it. And I think that that's probably not been where, where it needs to be. 
Yeah, and it can't be one size fits all either. And by the way, I concur with the University of Toronto plan. I mean, I, I, our, our daughter got the last couple of courses for her degree uh, last year online and, and thoroughly enjoyed that experience. Uh, younger kids, of course, in uh, you know, in, in elementary and high school, maybe a, a different situation. It's a great so know, piece. You know, of there's, the, been like, there's been a lot of debate about, you know, airflow in classrooms and yeah. so on. And I think especially in the public schools, you know, the money has not come through for, for that to be dealt with. But at the university, because the university decides essentially its own budget, you know, based on what, what money it collects from, from tuition and so on, it has decided, at least our institution has decided to invest a lot of money and a lot of time and effort into uh, improved ventilation. And, you know, I know the people well who are involved and they are very, very dedicated to doing what they can. But at the end of the day, what happens when you have 100 people in a, in a space and, you know, somebody doesn't want to wear a mask? That's uh, a problem that somebody's going to have to deal with sooner than later. Uh, we're, our problem right now is time. We are out of it as it uh, occurs. Uh, as always, thank you so much for the time. Great piece in the Globe and Mail. I'm glad you could spend some time with us this morning, Professor. Thank you very much, and nice to talk with you. Take care. Professor Mark Lottens from the University of Toronto. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.